0: Thank you, John. It's beautiful music. Our reading today is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, beginning at verse 53 to 65. And it's titled, Jesus Before the Sanhedrin. Mark 14, beginning at 53. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, But their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another, not made with hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him.
1: I encourage you to keep your Bibles open. Uh, We won't have slides today, but uh, I encourage you to follow along in the text. Let me pray and we'll have a closer look at this passage. Father God, thank you that your word is powerful uh, because you are powerful, because it is your word, Lord. And I pray now that as we open it, we remain faithful to the text and that you speak to our hearts as we consider Jesus being arrested and then tried uh, in such an unjust way. Help us to understand uh, the deeper significance of this and help us walk away confident and able to stand in a world which at times is full of injustice. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the 17th of August, 1980, uh, many of you will remember that while camping uh, near Uluru, or what was known as Ayers Rock, Lindy Chamberlain screamed, The dingo's got my baby. Uh, While the first inquest found that a dingo had indeed taken her baby Azaria, Uh, Lindy was put on trial anyway in the Northern Territory uh, for murder. She was found guilty and she was sentenced to a life in prison. Now, I was six years old at the time, so start calculating. I know I'm going to lose half of you. Uh, I'm 49. And so uh, in my house, uh, amongst all the retro, it was obvious Uh, no way a dingo took her baby. I still remember conversations my parents were having and how clear it was in their hearts and their heads that she did it herself. See, I remember there was a prevailing verdict that we had set upon her. She was guilty. So the media declared that the name of her daughter Azaria meant sacrifice in the wilderness. So when, in fact, Lindy had chose the name because it meant blessed of God. The Chamberlains were Christians, so in my non-Christian home, we were all convinced that a child sacrifice had happened as some part of a weird religious rite. I remember it. I was only very young. So only when the jacket of Azaria was uh, was found uh, were the problems in the prosecution case found and, uh, and it ended up in the Northern Territory Court of Criminal Appeals which unanimously overturned all uh, the convictions following a royal commission uh, around about 1988. But it wasn't, only, it wasn't until about 10 years ago that she was able to finally have the death certificate removed, uh, from, to, uh, changed to show that the dingo was the cause of death. That's 32 years after the tragedy. So the problem with this is we've cast a verdict despite the evidence. And there have been many, many instances throughout the history of the world and in our world right now of injustice taking place despite the lack of evidence and despite the lack of witness. Trial by media is at the heart of everything we are now. People are tried through social media and media outlets before any trial has even even happened. We have cultural biases, the American history of bias against African Americans is even felt today. And in almost all these cases of injustice, verdicts and conclusions have been drawn before the trial had even begun. So the trial was just a matter of finding some way of upholding a verdict that had already been set. And I think the worst of these case scenarios is when it's tried outside of due process of the courts. Uh, And we often refer to this as a kangaroo court. See, it's an unauthorised, unofficial court with the sole purpose of convicting someone uh, in an image of a fair legal process. No consideration is being made for the fairness of the trial and typically it's associated with groups uh, that practice their own brand of justice, which is outside of the formal judicial process. So it might be, uh, it might be a, a group that has set themselves up as uh, the government uh, and they follow some legal system in order to... Uh, well, we heard about Cambodia. You know, We heard about genocide in Cambodia uh, and the reasoning about that. See, Jesus has been betrayed by Judas. And after a heart-wrenching prayer... Of, of submission to God the Father's will in the Garden of Gethsemane that we looked at last week. Jesus is arrested in the dark of night on the eve before the festival of unleavened bread begins. They've just had the Passover. They're about to have a week long of a festival, a very important festival. And if you remember back there, they have been saying, we want to arrest them, arrest him before the festival so that there's not an uprising and in fact, in this passage, Jesus points out that they could have arrested him, or in the passage just before what was read. Jesus points out they could have arrested him anytime publicly. He's in the temple courts teaching. But no, they came at the dead of night, the dark of night, because they were afraid of the crowds. So there's no formal charge here. There's just an agreement to betray. Uh, of betrayal because the judges and the leaders of Israel were not happy being condemned by Jesus' teaching. And verse 53 tells us Jesus was brought before the leaders of Israel, the high priest who was Caiaphas at the time, uh, the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law. Now, if you go to Jerusalem, uh, you can actually go to where they believe uh, Caiaphas' house was. Uh, but he was arrested at night and now put on trial at night. So what's so wrong about this is even the rules of the Sanhedrin stated that no trial for a capital offence should occur at night. It should occur in the day and be suspended for night time. See, Jesus is suffering a lack of due process, but we also know that it is the day before the Sabbath and the festival of unleavened bread. See, no court of justice in Israel were permitted to hold sessions on the Sabbath or any biblical holiday. And in capital crimes, it was said that if, you, if all the accusations and, the, and, the, and, and all the arguments were heard on one day, you could not have an, a, a decision on that same day because the chances were that it was going to be an unlawful Or or there was some some unlawful process in place. So they said it had to be reasoned and thought out so you couldn't cast the judgment on the same day. It had to go overnight. But they couldn't go overnight because it was the Sabbath. And so the trial should never have happened on this day. See, there's a lack of justice, but there's a lack of due legal process. Well... Verse 55 then tells us there was no evidence against him to convict him of a crime, let alone sentenced to death. Let me just read verses 55 to 59. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. And some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I'll destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days we'll build another, not made with hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. See, what's really happening isn't uh, the official trial. This is more like a pre-trial because they had to go to the Romans for the sentencing of death and they had to find something about Jesus uh, to be able to petition the Roman authorities with. But there isn't any evidence. There's contradiction. And in some respects, it's just a chaotic scene of people going, well, I heard him say this. Oh, I heard him say this. Oh, I, you know, and they're trying to find something because they already had condemned him to death. They're taking his words out of context. They're clutching at straws. But then Caiaphas... Uh, and by the way, it's in his home, which is, was illegal for a capital offence under, uh, under the Jewish law as well. It had to be at the, uh, the place which was an appointed place. But anyway, Caiaphas demands then that, uh, a, a defence from Jesus. Have a look at verse 60. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. See, like a sheep before its shearers is silent, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy here from the Old Testament. Isaiah talked about this. See, the rules of the Sanhedrin stated that if no judge defends the person being accused, that is, if everyone is finding him guilty, then they need to appoint a defender. He needed legal counsel to represent his side of the story. But that's not happening here either. Otherwise, the verdict is invalid and the sentence of death cannot be carried out. That's their own legal system. Under Jewish law, if the verdict is unanimous, it cannot be on the day of examination, like I said. And so everything about uh, what's happening here is wrong. And the reason it's written in there is simply because they desired justice. It was meant to have justice, yet the high priest demands a defence. Jesus remained silent. He had nothing to answer because there was no evidence against him. But then in verse 61, Caiaphas asks him a blunt question which exposes what they're trying to do. They're trying to get him to show that he is As they would see it, blaspheming, speaking against God. And he says this: He says, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Now, the Israelites weren't allowed to use the name of God, so hence why he's used Blessed One. So, if you think back through Mark, this is the question of Mark. If you go back all those weeks, right to the beginning, the question that has been asked over and over and over and over again is, who is this man? And as he's performed miracles, as he's taught, as he's exercised demons, as he's fed 5,000 with a few loaves, as he's healed a woman bleeding for 12 years... In the very first chapter as they're in the synagogue and an evil spirit stands up and accuses him, what do you want with us, son of the most high? The question that has been coming through and through and through. Chapter 8, who do you say I am, he says to the disciples. Is this question your actions, your teachings... They all point to one thing and everyone's saying it, but you're not saying it, Jesus. And so they put him on trial and here we are. Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? This is the moment where we all stop in the narrative. Is he going to remain silent? How's he going to answer that? This is the first time in the whole gospel that that particular question about being the son of God has been asked as well. This is up the ante to another level. And Jesus doesn't need to answer this question. This is an unjust trial. They're doing it all wrong. There is no due process. There's no evidence He doesn't have to answer this. He doesn't have to defend himself. In fact, he's meant to have an appointed court defender. But he's in control of all this all along. This is why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, not my will, but yours be done. See, he knows that if he affirms what they are asking him, then they will condemn him, and he will be crucified on a cross. And if he says nothing, well, they really can't take him to the Romans. So the charge was blasphemy, and Jesus finally opens his mouth. And he says, I am. Now, I don't want you to read too much into that. I don't think he's reflecting the true name of God and, and, and what's happening there, but he says, I am. He's saying, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of the Blessed One. So I read Psalm 110 earlier, and his answer here uh, is, is a combination of Psalm 110, really, and uh, Daniel 7. Two very important messianic and, uh, and, 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 and future-looking uh, texts for the Israelites. And in Psalm 110, the understanding in Israel, and all the Sanhedrin would have had this understanding, is that the earthly king of Israel, the one that was the human king, was invited to sit at the right hand of God And that seating was symbolic of his authority and power on the earth at that moment, representing God on the earth as his appointed ruler. And really the question is all about whether he believes he's the fulfillment of Psalm 110. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Psalm 110, 5-7 says, The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from the brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. See, Jesus is saying in answering I am, he's saying that you are condemning the rightful king and rightful just judge with your unjust justice. He's saying, yes, I am that king and I am the one who sits on the throne and I am the one who is the rightful ruler and I am the one who will judge justly. I am the appointed judge, not you. I am the king of the Jews and I will cast righteous judgment throughout the earth. But then he quotes Daniel 7. He says, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, there's a lot less certainty in Israel about Daniel 7. The tradition around that, they weren't quite sure who this figure was that it was talking. There's this image of the throne of God. And there's this there's this other image of a Son of Man who is seated with him and, and, and he's going to come on clouds of heaven. It was very abstract. They didn't know if it was talking of angels or some, some non-human being or a human ruler. But Jesus is saying to them, and let me tell you something about this mystery of Daniel 7 and the Son of Man. And if you remember, he referred to himself as the Son of Man through his whole ministry. He says, yes, the mystery is revealed. I am that figure. Not only am I the Messiah, but I am the Son of Man and I am the fulfillment of the prophecy through all the Old Testament. It isn't some abstract uh, mystery. If you remember back to chapter 9, his transfiguration on the mount was all about revealing his divinity... Last week, we looked at him in Gethsemane in his anguish and sorrowful soul of suffering. And that was all about revealing his humanity. And here we have the earthly king and the divine king being declared by Jesus, I am both, I am he, I have divine authority. And I have authority on the earth right now as the fulfilment of both those texts and those prophecies. There is so much happening in his answer here. It is like everything just comes together. But just as John says in the prologue to his gospel, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So the result is a kangaroo cord. And the result that we're seeing here is the injustice of the world, passing judgment on the only true one who can ever give true justice to the world. Can you see how messed up that is? The one who should be casting judgment on all that's happening has submitted himself to being judged under the very weight of the injustice that comes out of the sinful, broken heart. Why? Because that is the only way to restore a relationship between those who are casting injustice upon him and the Father the restoration, the salvation. See, they all hoped that this Messiah would come in his triumphal entry military guard and he would wipe out the nations of the earth. But no, the bigger problem is the sin of the world. And so he submits under the sin of the world to be judged and crushed and and, and forsaken so that we could be restored. Well, they had everything they needed. Even though they'll have to change the charge when we look at uh, him put before Pilate next week, because blasphemy is not something that the Romans care about. But they had everything they needed to commit him to death. See, they couldn't believe that He is those things. And so what else do we need? The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. The guards took him and beat him. I think you can you can explain to me the crucifixion, or you lie. But the moment I hear that Jesus was spat upon, I think in my human experience, that's something that I I, I struggle to even comprehend. I've been spat upon once, really violently. And it was the most disgusting thing that's ever happened to me, I think. I was just walking down the street in the middle of Surrey Hills with a friend, and this man, I'm sure there was mental health involved, he just spat in our faces. And it is the most, it it, it just, it just, demeaning, it, it just, it's the most demeaning thing that can happen to you. When my boys spit, They know the wrath of Adrian. There is no spitting in our house. But here we have the Son of God, the Messiah, being spat upon, struck, mocked, blindfolded, hitting him with their fists. So what do we take home from this today? Well, firstly, I hope you grasp the true potential of humanity here. I hope you grasp the reality of the problem. To so the corrupt heart can do tremendously immoral, unjust, and inhumane things to hold on to power. We see it in our world today, we see it in our local clubs, we see it in churches, we see it everywhere. We've seen it in Cambodia. We've seen it in most of the world. When your political leaders lie about babies being thrown overboard for political gain, don't think it's outside of Australia. Go and have a look at uh, black deaths in custody issues in Australia. You see, it is everywhere. It is the human heart that wishes to hold on. We have a holocaust, we have the Ukraine, we have women and children sold into slavery. It's awful. So I don't want to underestimate the human heart here. It has grievous potential. But that's not what I'm leaving you with. See, as we are confronted with the image of Jesus being spat upon, beaten, mocked, scorned, I don't want you to lose sight here of the hope in this passage. One day we will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. And on that day he will say enough. And those who have committed atrocities against the vulnerable, the oppressed, the children, will come face to face with true judgment, will come face to face with true justice. And where the Lord says, vengeance is mine, trust in me, be still and know that I am God. Well, on that day, he will come and bring true justice to the world and it will prevail. See, I think it's easy to feel so powerless and to just be overwhelmed with everything that's in the world. We look at the human heart's potential and we just go, oh my, why would I even want to bring children up into this? But that's not our hope. See, we have a God who is a just God, and He is administering justice. And he will once and for all administer justice and that should bring us great, great hope and great confidence that he's in control of all things. See, we'll be served by the just judge who was condemned brutally by the unjust Because we know that he's not just a just judge but in his great love for us in this that while we were sinners Christ died for us. He is the loving God. And so at the cross his love and his justice they meet. The punishment that was poured out upon him was meant for us. And the love that transpires everything was poured out upon us. He took all for us. But that doesn't mean there's not a day of the Lord to come where those who have not submitted themselves uh, and abandoned their own uh, way of life and and, and come to him for forgiveness in faith and repentance, it doesn't mean that there won't be justice. See, because each of us are condemned. But as Romans 8 says, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was condemned for us. And there is only one way we can face that judgment to come, and that is through putting our trust in the Lord Jesus. But that's good news, because that's a gift for everyone. The person who's committed the heinous of crimes has a chance of repenting and putting their faith. That might leave a sour taste in your mouth but that's the extent of God's love but if they don't then there will be a judgment to come and that is the extent of God's justice so I want you to take heart when you feel powerless to do anything about the injustice in the world around you or even in the lives of kids that maybe you teach or whatever it is because you can commit them to the Lord knowing that the day of the Lord is coming And for each of us, I encourage you to put your faith there in the Lord Jesus so that you can with confidence know that you have been forgiven, set free and justice has been served on your behalf. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this reality check about Jesus' true identity. Father, thank you that we can come with great hope knowing that that you have forgiven us when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus, but at the same time, there is a day where justice will prevail. And so, Father, we do pray that you will help us to walk in this world as the shining light of Christ, knowing that when we feel powerless, that we serve a God who is all-powerful and we can commit all things into your hands. Help us to do what we can where we can, Lord. But also give us great confidence, knowing that you will prevail. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to finish the service uh, with a hymn.